Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh yeah, yeah, yo! Check the check the chat, motherfucker. What's happening, everybody? Uh, <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. You are now tuned into High Nine News. Thank you for joining, not only to get High Nine with us, but also High Noon on the East Coast. I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street, and it is Monday, March twentieth. Spring begins today, so quit acting cold. It's National Ravioli Day. Bad news for Meatball Ron. National Proposal Day. Will she say yes or no? My bet is on no. World Flower Day, a day most hated by true sufferers of gluten allergies and National Native HIV AIDS Awareness Day. More than twice the reason for true plant medicine advocates to care. Everyone out there watching, please like, share, and hit the subscribe button and follow us at High 9 News across all social media platforms. We're live weekday mornings on YouTube and Twitch, audio only on Clubhouse. And if you do choose the Clubhouse route, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand with a brief comment on this story presented. Jason Beck's got a breaking news headline fresh out the oven. He'll be dropping on us in just a bit, but going first today is a redheaded conservative known for mixing things up on K Street by day, culinary delights in the kitchen at night. And whether she'll escape that animal abuse indictment for the weak ass outfits forced upon her pit bulls daily or not, that's still in the air. But either way, y'all know who it is. She's here with us today. It's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and Hyatt 9 News' very own Washington Insider, Gretchen Gilly. I'll have you know that my babies love their outfits and they get very excited once they see the whole little costume bin come out and what are they going to get to put on you should see salem in her little home goods worker outfit where she walks around and helps you in the store it's adorable you have to be there Sounds anyway creepy. this is one of those what? things you gotta be there to believe it right? you gotta be there it's good stuff <laughs> my headline is coming from my old favorite marijuana moment uh, new bipartisan congressional bills would allow hemp derivatives like cbd as dietary supplements and food additives Bipartisan congressional lawmakers have refiled a pair of bills meant to provide a pathway for the regulation of hemp derivatives like CBD as dietary supplements and food and beverage additives. The two measures that were filed on Friday, the Hemp and Hemp Derived CBD Consumer Protection and Market Stabilization Act and the CBD Product Safety and Standardization Act, are being sponsored by Representatives Morgan Griffith and Angie Craig. Uh, Griffith is a Republican from Virginia and Angie Craig, a Democrat from Minnesota. Earlier versions of the bills were filed last Congress and ultimately did not advance. But advocates and industry stakeholders feel that the FDA's recent announcement 
that it wouldn't be taking steps to regulate CBD will put pressure on lawmakers to act this time around. The FDA has dragged its feet improperly regulating CBD and hemp-derived products on the market, creating confusion about its legal uses, Griffith said in a press release on Friday. Americans need better guidance, and that is why I've introduced these two pieces of legislation, which will create a pathway for regulation in both the food and dietary supplement spaces. The Hemp and Hemp-Derived CBD Consumer Protection and Market Stabilization Act would mandate that hemp, hemp-derived CBD, and other derivatives from the federally legal cannabis plant would be made lawful as dietary supplements under the FDA Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. The CBD Product Safety and Standardization Act, meanwhile, would require the FDA to develop rules and hold a public comment period on the maximum amount of hemp-derived CBD that could be added to a food item or beverage per serving, labeling and packaging uh, requirements and the conditions of intended use, uh, according to the text of the legislation. Uh, according to Representative Craig, in Minnesota, we've seen firsthand that our local governments and small businesses need more guidance when it comes to CBD and hemp-derived products. That's why I've partnered with Representative Griffith on these important bipartisan bills to better regulate CBD products, keep consumers safe, and ensure our hemp farmers and businesses have the support they need. The FDA announced in January that it would not be creating rules to allow the marketing of CBD as dietary supplements or food items, leaving the massive industry without regulations, despite repeated calls for administrative action from lawmakers, advocates, and stakeholders. Following a careful review of the non-intoxicating cannabinoid, the FDA said it reached the conclusion that the existing regulatory pathways that are in place for other dietary supplements and food additives will not work for CBD. Instead, the agency said that they want to work with Congress on a new way forward. Uh, Representative Griffith said, or no, I'm sorry, this is coming from U.S. Hemp People General Counsel Jonathan Miller. The FDA has made it clear that legislative action by Congress is needed to solve its CBD regulatory problem. And these two bipartisan bills reintroduced by Representatives Griffith and Craig serve as a solution. The FDA's inaction over the past four years has had a devastating impact on U.S. hemp growers and has left thousands of unregulated products on the marketplace, raising health and safety concerns for consumers. I agree with these folks. The FDA needs to actually do something. Uh, we'll see if these bills help go anywhere. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. I am hopeful that since the FDA came out and said, Congress, you have to do something, that perhaps this will spur them to action. We shall see. This scratch from the Nine News. I mean, um, do people think that CBD should be regulated different than THC? Yes, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Are you talking about regular people or are you talking about lawmakers? Who are you talking about? Regular people. Well, I mean, I guess you think regular people know enough to have an opinion like that. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I'm, I'm talking about like, there should be like three different levels, obviously, the lawmakers and then like industry folks that know. That cannabis is cannabis and then lay people. Well, it's important to note that these bills are only covering hemp derived. They're not getting into cannabis sativa. I mean, technically they are getting into cannabis sativa L because in the Controlled Substances Act, it's all the same definition. Right. 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 That's right. Absolutely. That's what I'm getting at. Mm. Well, these are problems that Congress had, has to address. Clearly, they don't even understand it. They 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 definitely don't. Um, they definitely need uh, better people educating them in regards to these things. But uh, I just think that this bill is not going to go anywhere. They're too willing to put money on it. 
Gretchen, this is where our campaigning comes in. This is it. This is it. The education piece. We just need to start sending a weekly email to, to all of these officials inboxes with all of the real news that's happening. Just, just spam the shit out of every legislator. Spam um, the shit out of them. Get all their interns' email with, emails too. Yes, with the, the Hyatt Nine newsletter. Every fucking I'm insane. day. Oh yeah, Adam, sure. I have. I have almost every. <laughs> I'll send you a long list, Jason. Oh, okay. I, can't wait. I, can't I wait. mean, my one concern is the second bill, the CBD Product Safety and Standardization Act. All it's saying is that they require the FDA to develop rules. Uh, they already did that. And the FDA said, suck a nut. So I don't see if that's going to have much force behind it. I don't um, either. I agree with you on that, Gretchen. What's the point? They were supposed I, to do it already. They haven't done it. I think they just created these two bills just to waste paper. Because these are big, all- just big tree killers. That's yeah, their, their big goal. Tree, big tree killers. Yeah. Just, you know, we're going to say we're going to introduce this bill so we can act like we're going to do something, but I don't see any political muster or to move it forward. Right. I mean, and, and these are not the first bills. Representative Griffith, he has been uh, behind this for quite some time, uh, pushing on various legislation in cannabis. So he's not new to the game. Uh, mm-hmm. It is nice to see a new name on there. Uh, this representative from Minnesota, Representative Craig. Um, yes. So I think that's a good thing that we are seeing support grow across the country that to show that something needs to be done. We is need more a, voices said, in the fight. You huh? said he's from Minnesota? No, Griffith is from Virginia. Oh, the, the co-sponsor Craig is from Minnesota. A there woman, we go. Angie yeah. Craig. We need more. We need more senators. Right. I think the House of Representatives is um, was like a quadruple, quintuple the amount of uh, of House members that are down. But uh, the senators just don't give a fuck about learning anything. Well, it's not that the senators it's not don't. the same. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. I think we should. I think term limits. Get, if you don't know what weed is, get no. the fuck out of Congress. I'm totally against term limits. I think it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. We you do really? have term limits. They're called elections. That's right. That's right, Vote. Gretchen. Vote. That's right. Vote like your life depends on it. Term limits are the only way to save politics. No way. That's only going to destroy politics even more. I agree. Uh, why? How? Because because um, how, how politics works is you have the, you have the senior <laughs> members, and what you want to get is a senior member to get behind your stuff because that's how things go. Go. If you have term limits, you're not going to have any type of uh, any type of hierarchy. It's just going to be a mad uh, scrape. No one's going to understand. The problem is the hierarchy. No, it's that's not. Right. In how government works. It was designed okay, okay. To, because to I want to go down a fun little rabbit hole here. Jason how many, uh, what do you consider a good term limit? I mean, what would you call for, Todd? You know, you I would say four to six years is, is, yeah. yeah, you know, so then, so then a senator would only be able the to serve one term. One that doesn't term make any sense. Years. They, totally they, make a, they make a career out of being a congressperson. I get it, but you should be, once you learn what you're doing, you're kicked out. And then we're back to Joe Schmo, who knows nothing. Exactly. Well, guys, you know what they're doing are totally failing. I don't know that learning what they're doing is really actually what's happening. I think they learn how to navigate the system in a really fucked up way. I don't know. I know that I don't. No one there is being highly effective. I would, I would not mind. Frankly, I don't mind term limits more on the house side because uh, they just stay around forever. And, um, and when I say term limits, I would and I know y'all are going to hate this. I would put it at like 20 years, uh, <laughs> not, yeah. not four or six. Yeah. Uh, but it my would have, boss, to, be 20, when it would have I worked, to be 24 years, Gretchen. It would have to be 24. 
Well, I'm talking about the house side. So when my boss worked on the house side, I swear, like the day we had election day, it was like, yay, we get to keep our jobs. Next day, we started fundraising again for the next election. That's right. The house is just a disaster in the way that money is raised and how the policies. I, the house is a joke. When it comes to as, as a all you're doing house, is raising money all day and all night. Yes. As a member election. of the house, that is that is what your, your main job is, is campaign finance. That's right. And we have a. Uh, we have Dr. Mary Clifton. She says campaign finance reform is what will solve the problem. But I totally disagree because we've gone through campaign finance reform a number of times and it hasn't helped the situation at all. But we I love it. Haven't. They need to because limit campaign. The opposite has been happening, Jason. The opposite has been term happening. Limits. I mean, right. we shouldn't have to deal with the same bozo yes. over and over and over and, again. And the people in their district should vote them out. Same thing with nonprofit organizations. There's so many of the same old dinosaurs running the nonprofit that started NGOs. it 10, 15 years ago. It's time to have term limits and all of these sorts of things if you're doing any kind of public service. Right. In a I, totally, I totally disagree because you're going to get someone that's really good and they're going to get forced out of office because of a term limit. And that No, they could run for another office. Oh. If you're that good, you'll get reelected right. to do all kinds no, of things. No, but not if they're term yeah. limited. What do you want? What yeah, do you want yeah, to do? Yeah, you guys are not, not living Go in reality. Go run for another office. You guys are not living You're just term limited on that one person. You could come back for the. It may be time for the beneficial dictatorship of St. Germain, you guys. Oh, God. Here yes. we go. We have Dr. Felicia. <laughs> also, Clubhouse audience to comment on this. What do you have to say about this, Dr. Felicia? Hey, Jason. Hey, everybody. I'm, I'm about to come from the land of Oz, too, uh, Jason, because I do not believe that we are doing any, ourselves any good by not having term limits. I, I think they should do two terms, whatever that term is. It'd be at four years, six years. Two terms should be maxed because the current system is so corrupted with money incumbents have the advantage over new blood. Take the case of Diane Feinstein, a wonderful woman champion. Senator, I don't know about all that, but uh, initially when she got up in there, but now, I mean, she's going out with uh, alleged insider trading and getting rich on getting richer. You're, I think you're confusing her and Nancy Pelosi. No, got reelected by pretending to be a champion for cannabis, and then as soon as she got reelected this last time, she kicked cannabis out. She's, the door. She has never been a champion for cannabis. She uh she actually she campaigned. Hold on, just like she, President Biden did this time. She she campaigned. I, I agree with you on that. Part. She cam she campaigned <laughs> originally to get elected off of the back of the HIV AIDS movement. And the death of Harvey Milk. And that's how she originally got in there and then totally turned her back on that community. Just totally. Well, you, All right. Well, well this well, was a fantastic discussion. And it is time for us to move <laughs> yeah. along and jump out of this rabbit hole. Oh. Who's next? Rico Lamy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Coming up next. Oh, no. Hold on. No, we have a commercial next. All oh, right. Fine. Next. We'll be right back. Uh-huh. I tried. How's it going guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Oh yeah, coming up next we have the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. That's right. When he's not out hunt house hunting, you could find him having tea parties with Zozo at playing Cinderella and reminding her that she always must be home before midnight. That's right. It is the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, thanks, Jason. Yeah, so my story is coming out of the great state of New York. So New York State Governor Hathi, Hathi, Kathy Hochul and the New York City Mayor Eric Adams have earned plenty of negative credit, uh, criticism for the Empire State's sputtering rollout of adult-use cannabis with just four shops open uh, three and a half months into 2023 as the nation's biggest city's streets have essentially transformed into a traptastic winter wonderland. But this weekend, words sharper than most hit the newswires from a well-known New York prohibitionist with more time money, and media access than he knows what to do with. Here's a few excerpts from former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg's laughable opinion piece in the Washington Post. About a decade after states began legalizing recreational marijuana use, there's a little doubt who's the biggest winners, who the biggest winners have been. Criminals. And it's equally apparent who the biggest losers have been. Kids. New York State's disastrous experiment with legalization is making both of us, both of those facts painfully and dangerously obvious. Advocates promoted legalization as a way to increase tax revenue, establish a safe marketplace, and reduce arrests and criminal penalties. But experience has shown that the only way to achieve the first two goals is to abandon the third by cracking down on illegal stores that undercut legal sellers. And the only way to achieve the third goal is to abandon the first two by allowing shops sell untaxed and unsafe products at a discount. Most states have opted to take the latter route, hoping to collect new revenue without taking responsibility for enforcement. Not surprisingly, illicit stores have flourished while licensed shops and growers have struggled to turn a profit. Many have gone out of business. The, grant, um, the brand started by Jerry Garcia's family recently folded up shop in California. Shots fired by Bloomberg there. So New York's experience should, should be a warning, warning to the nation. The goals of legalization movement are utterly at odds with each other. The free lunch legislators sought more tax revenue with uh, no enforcement responsibilities. Health risks to youth dangers was always a fairy tale. Now it's gone all up in smoke. It's time to get serious about protecting our children. <laughs> Bloomberg was called out for uh, cannabis policy hypocrisy during his failed 2020 de democracy primary run after a tape was leaked of him on Twitter speaking to campaign donors defending the infamous, infamously racist Giuliani era broken windows policies that he kept intact before downplaying, uh, downplaying his own enjoyment of illegal recreational consumption back in the 60s as being, quote unquote, different. Broken Windows policies gave cops the power to stop and frisk anyone they say looked suspicious in, under, in underserved neighborhoods. Misinformed defenders of the racist policies argued that targeting of black and brown communities was necessary and cleaned up New York streets in a time of need. But historical data shows its disproportionately distributed use of force was responsible for 50% of cannabis arrests pinned on black citizens and 85% total were non-white on average each year of Bloomberg's 12-year mayorship, amounting to tens of thousands of nonviolent offenders prosecuted annually and separated from their families. Thus proving broken windows more effective at amplifying distrust and tension between communities of color and law enforcement than anything else. He was supposed to be the left's answer to Donald Trump and he spent nearly $2 billion of his own dollars to hire a digital troll army whose dank memes proved no match for Trump's trolls. Who really meant what they said. <laughs> and now he's 
been dis diminished to heckling at New York's current leadership from the cheap seats. Sad. Kathy Hochula and Eric Adams would have been better off just ignoring Bloomberg's low energy cries for attention, but they're Democrats, so of course they took the bait. They offered their own lukewarm responses uh, through their uh, respective teams. So this is from Hochul's spokeswoman, Hazel Crampton Hayes. We continue to work with our partners to enforce the law and to explore every possible mechanism available to protect New Yorkers and shut down illicit operators. A spokesman for Mayor Adams' office offered this. The state has laid out a process of obtaining legal cannabis dispensary licenses, and we must make sure that they are distributed fairly and equitably. But those cutting the line are hurting hardworking, law-abiding business owners who are following the rules. Hochul just needs to quit writing verbal checks that her administration cannot cash, and Adams shouldn't be saying shit. He greenlit New York's return to broken windows policy last March. Come on, dude. Look, things are not going as planned in New York cannabis, and everybody knows that. But if you want the people to believe in your ability to right the ship, the last thing you should be doing right now is feeding the trolls, especially trolls with as much money and time on their hands as Michael Bloomberg has. I'm reading news, them in fighting. You with us, Rico? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, New York is is such 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 a sit show. I mean, I think it's totally fair for uh for Bloomberg to totally be going after them and and letting them know what a shit show they've created and what a failed policy all of New York is doing. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, Bloomberg has his points there, but um, the messenger is fucking way flawed. The messenger is terrible, and the and the whole the protect the kids argument. I, I yeah, don't think anyone listens to anymore. I think that just is like all, falls upon deaf ears, except for the prohibitionists, because that's that's their number one song tune. I think if Bloomberg really cared about this, he would offer support and maybe advice right. instead of trying to be a douchebag on this message. Um, and frankly, I don't consider it an infighting because the man isn't part of New York anymore when it comes to policymaking. I think he should be reaching out to these folks and how to do things better, not going with the save the children argument. Like what someone say last week, he's the guy who took away the big gulp. This is bullshit. I don't, yeah. I don't, and straws and plastic bags. Bloomberg's a pain in the ass. I mean, don't you think that if Bloomberg really wanted to do something that he should put in the money to that fund that they were supposed to be raising for social equity in sure, New York? why not? I mean, he's, he's got the money. Let's himself. do it. Right. If, if 150, 150, billion is, uh, 150 million is nothing to him, right? Nothing to him. Nothing to a boss. Was Pocket it even that change. much? I didn't think they were raising that much. I, I thought, thought it was like 100 or 200 million. million. It, was to be, it was supposed to be 150 mil. Yeah, 100, there we go. I know it was okay. in between 100 and 200 million. Yeah, New York's is such a crapshoot. I feel sorry for anyone that's actually in that market. Any of those four stores that are open. Um, <laughs> in, in defense of these folks, also in New York, which I know y'all don't like to defend them, this stuff does not turn around overnight. And so for all you guys who keep pretending that they can just flip the switch and yay, the market's fixed, Great give them a break. Greg, you, you, Rico, you, you Rico nobody Lameed, said that they would. Are we told, the we one told person who has pushed left and right for social equity up and down, and New York's doing it. So you, you need to give them time to do this social listen, experiment if listen, this is what listen, you want. This I, is the market I, I, you've been no begging problem. for, Rico Meat. Now I, it's I, here. Oh, How do you oh, like oh, oh. it? I have no I have never had any problem with them going social equity licensing first. My problem was with uh, uh Kathy Hochul and them doing the big ass fucking photo op 
and, and telling people you didn't even buy anything. The twenty you're going to be open a month. Why don't we talk? A, why do we have a problem a with the real issues? You're bitching about a photo op. She why don't you bitch about the failed market? Because they won't let anyone who knows how to run a business start a business. How about that? He told them that twenty were going to be opening monthly and then um and, and eric adams uh went there and opened up the trap <laughs> said that you're not gonna be prosecuting nobody and oh, he's trying to close the trap, the trap now yeah and he's trying to close the shit like a, a, a month a, a few months later talking about oh yeah i was just kidding i was just playing. I'll tell you what if new york had me as the director of their whole thing i i could clean this whole thing up in one week oh god what oh, would you what's your three-point plan what would you do jay huh what would you do? Tell us how it would go. Well, you want to you want to hear how I would do it, so then that way these Point. New York regulators could take my ideas and pretend that they're there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. let's help them out. Let's help them <laughs> Just give them uh, a tease. They they gotta call you. They gotta hit you uh, hit you on the Patreon for the full version. The, the game is told <laughs> and not told. Yeah, those people are gonna have yeah. to pay up if they want want some real solutions. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just gonna be in this perpetual wind tunnel of virtue signaling. Mm -hmm. I do think that the the speed upon which they're opening retail out of New York is pretty ridiculous. It doesn't take that long to process applications and to go inspect facilities. At all. Here's, here's my complaint, Mandy, is that people keep putting it back onto the city of New York when they have issued 67 licenses. Is it their job to get the doors open too? I mean, they did their part. Now it's time for these businesses to step up and do their job. But everyone's like, Kathy Hochul screwing it up. The, the cannabis uh, office is screwing it up. They issued they the licenses. Why is it their job to do every single step? This because is what's wrong with this industry is that people, everyone wants a handout. They want everything to be done for them. I mean, I would love to go back to the folks in Humboldt and the, who were like, F it, we're going to go off, build our own community, take care of our own schools, our own worlds, our own life. Exactly, Matthew Saint Germain. Give me the nod and give me some vocal support here. This is what this. <laughs> I was muted means. out of respect. I was muted out of respect. But yes, I mean, you're here. Come on, this is just crazy. It's like we have shown that we can bootstrap this shit on our own before. Thank you. Why are we not doing it now? Mm -hmm. All right, all right. I mean, agreed. I don't think government should do anything, everything, but I do believe that government should be expediting all of this stuff in order to get these people online. But at the same time, if you're an operator, what's the point of going online when you're you, you have to compete with it with all the bodegas out there? Yeah. They're just undercutting you every single step of the way. Yeah. And so you're just going to take 20 years to open? That's your plan to deal with the competition? What it's, is it's the, not, I don't understand your point plan. whatsoever. It's not my plan. It sounds like it's I don't hear. Eric I Adams' plan Eric along Adams with Kathy Hochul and the whole whatever the organization is called in New York that runs everything. The OCM. Yeah, there yeah, we go. OCM. Yeah. I got no problem with them taking as long as they as long as they need for the people who get their licenses first. I just don't want them telling people it's going to take it, it, you can have twenty opening every single month. That was that was a lie from day one. I dream to stop that shit. So, all, right, so. all right, well then, exactly. The governor shouldn't have spoke for these wonderful entrepreneurs who thought they could do this. I I could see you bitching, Rico, if the if they weren't issuing licenses, but they have been. The, New 20? York's doing their part. Mm -hmm. They're obviously you, not issuing certificates of occupancy, so then that way they could actually open. How do you know yeah. that, Jason? There's obviously a stall somewhere, Gretchen. And, yeah, and what is the stall then? What's the, the hang up? What's that? Why is it always I mean, the government's fault? I would love some facts for once to back up all these arguments. That's all I'm looking well, for. Well, 
I can only speak from personal experience that I've never had my business be delayed because of a lack of like funding. And I'm not, I have never received a nickel of BC funding. Mm -hmm. Okay. Scraping together the money to start a cannabis business is to start one is not that hard. There's some red tape. I will tell you right now that my business has started off in the negative because the government took so damn long mm -hmm. to let me do what I needed to do to become operable. I had to pay for my building for more than a year yep. before I could become operable. It was insane. Yeah, and you're waiting for appointments, mm -hmm. constantly being, um, you know, the the goalpost is constantly being moved yep. every single time mm -hmm. i think i'm there i have to start over your inspector couldn't There's find the address to your building causing this delay it's not money and i guarantee you the other thing we have to be really careful of is there's an assumption out there that because you would be a social equity person <clears throat> that you don't know how to run a business and i just want to remind everybody that my company is social equity we run our business just fine. Get it. I would love yeah. to hear we're gonna, we're gonna from one of me. these people who have had their license issued who can't get the doors open. So if there's anybody out there who knows anyone in New York who has had a license issued and can't get the doors open, please come on. Please write to us. Send a little tip. Jason, what's the tip line? I would love yeah. to hear from these people and understand tip what the problem is. Hyatt9news.com. Or you can just go to our website, Hyatt9news.com, and hit got a tip. And yeah, we would love anybody. I would love to well, hear from them and see how all, we can help you get past whatever hurdles you got. We are all about the tip drill here at Hyatt Nine News. <laughs> Up next, Wes Hollywood's right-leaning president of cannabis <laughs> tourism and the industry's longest continuously operating retailer, known to many for smoking on the best weed in the world and also paying for tips, getting paid for tips by uh, by Republicans that need a little help pushing things across the finish line up next you know who it is it is my co-host and the man with the plan jason back oh yeah everybody good morning happy 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 monday it's the most important day of the week and we're gonna off off with some breaking news that you're only gonna see here at hyatt nine news so make sure that you share this article from our website, tweet it out, all that extra stuff, because this is breaking news. This is going to shake. Up. All right. Exclusive piece from Hyatt 9 News. The DCC is investigating cookies, but should we take it seriously? Cookies is a famous California cannabis brand with a significant following across the country and beyond. Founded in 2012, Cookies was established to provide top-shelf cannabis products to its customers. The Cookies clothing brand was created in 2008. We spoke with someone who received a letter from the Department of Cannabis Control to request information relating to Cookies, recent advertising and marketing activities, and potentially any links to, to content that appears to resonate with childlike imagery. Our source shared with us the nitty-gritty details of the letter, and we are bringing this breaking story to you, to you readers, promptly from the Hyatt 9 News team. So let's get into the details of the investigation into the Cookies Cannabis brand based out of California. A DCC investigation in the works. The company has worked with several licensed cannabis businesses in California. An investigation conducted by the Department of Cannabis Control has revealed that particular license licenses may have been engaging in prohibited marketing practices. When we asked an anonymous source, they said in a quote, I don't see it as much different than what other brands are doing. Our source shared with Hyatt 9 News. Plenty 
of brands are clearly using items children are actively engaged in. As part of this investigation, the department is is requesting information including the status of any intellectual property right to the cookies brand. This includes any associated logos, the identity of those holding the rights, and any relevant agreements or contracts between the cookies brand or its owners. (coughs) Excuse me. It has also asked for details regarding whether the licensee is authorized to use the cookies brand in connection with its retail cannabis businesses and any involvement with the production of marketing of clothing items or other non-cannabis merchandise that contain the cookies brand. According to our inside source, the letter they received from the DCC detailed their request for the following information pursuant to the department's regulations. One, if there are any intellectual property rights, to the cookies brand and associated logos Two, any individuals or entities believed to own any intellectual property rights to cookies three any individuals or entities believed to have authority to control the use of the cookies brands Four, if the licensee does not have any intellectual property rights to the cookies brand if they have authorization from the intellectual property holder of the cookies brand to use in connection with the licensee's commercial cannabis business Uh, Five, any licensing agreements or other documentation indicating the authorization to use the cookies brand in connection with the licensee's retail cannabis businesses. Six, the involvement of the cannabis license company with the cookies brand and used outside of the retail cannabis businesses. Seven, if the licensees has entered into any agreements to receive from or provide monetary or other forms of consideration to be to the individuals or entities who hold the intellectual property rights of the cookies brand. Eight, the involvement of the licensees with the production and marketing of clothing items that contain the cookies brand or any associated logos. And number nine, if the licensee's cannabis retail business sells clothing items or other non-cannabis merchandise that contain the cookies brand or any associated logos. If so, they ask for information on how these items were obtained. In other words, it's time for cookies to show some documentation to the DCC to ensure public safety. The investigation ensures that cookies does not risk public safety by engaging in prohibited advertising practices. It is expected that the information requested by the department will provide further insight into the marketing practices of the cookies brand. Cookies has a reputation of providing top-notch cannabis products as a multi-state operator, and as a result, the company has sought to cultivate a brand identity that resonates with many customers. However, the company also seeks to ensure its marketing practices comply with state and federal laws. As part of this commitment, the Department of Cannabis Control must clearly understand cookies' marketing practices to continue to protect the public, they state. When we asked our source, is the marketing in California cannabis attracting to children? They said in a quote, I don't agree that cookies markets to children are sorcerers. However, I do believe that other brands in California that are break that are breaking written rules that are black and white and should maybe take notice that the DCC is interested in enforcing their rules and regulations. For example, Jeter is a cannabis brand using heavy design elements that are straight out of the Mario video game world. This type of blatant ripoff themes that can relate to children is something that the DCC is not taking seriously. Another brand, Super Dope, out of California, has been creating henna tie styled packaging 
for legal cannabis sales, a public safety concern concerning the general safety of children in this particular case. This should be a warning to other brands in California blatantly disobeying marketing compliance in such sexually graphic manners. Owners of licensed cannabis businesses should take this investigation as a reminder to carefully review all laws applicable to their companies, including restrictions, regulations outlined in the Medical and Adult Use Regulations and Safety Act. This will help ensure compliance and reduce the risk of violating applicable laws. In addition, in the event of an investigation, all owners should cooperate with the department and provide requested information in a timely fashion. The letter from our source states that you can learn more from the Department of Cannabis Control, learn more about advertising and marketing practices and the cookies brand, as well as regulations governing the medical and adult use cannabis by visiting the official website, the Department of Cannabis Control. So I have to ask everyone here, is the DCC grasping at crumbs in the cookie jar or is that just how the cookie crumbles? And this is Jason Beck reporting for High at Nine News. What do y'all think about that? What a shit storm. Oh, my God. Like, there's a thousand things that come to mind right now just from a marketing background that I've always watched cookies. I mean, they've been the front runner for what, six, seven years now when it comes to California branding and, and getting themselves to be globally positioned. And um, I've really been looking steadily at um, how they clearly have a very different business between their licensed entities, which are plant touching, and mm -hmm. then their IP holding company, which has all of their branding and their clothing and everything else. Those two things are not one and the same. So obviously DCC will figure that out really quickly. But when it comes to the argument about branding and marketing towards children, I've seen some comments in the note here, notes here about there being specifically clothing items for kids with the cookies branding. I haven't seen that, so I can't speak to it. Yeah, well, Tilly's I mean, Tilly's in the mall, which which markets to junior high schoolers. Well, yeah, and, and, and just to speak on that, I remember a number of years ago when Cookies Clothing first came out um, around 2008, I think it was probably around 2010 that this happened, but um, I remember when I went to school, there were clothing that you could not wear to school um, because of gang affiliation, so we weren't allowed to wear any Ben Davis or Dickies to school because of gang whatever, and I remember seeing that the San Francisco uh, school district banned Cookies Clothing around 2010 because they were saying... Uh, whatever they were saying, but they banned all kids from being able to wear cookies clothing to school. Mm. I want to know how it markets to children. If children are not allowed into dispensaries, they're not allowed to buy product. They can't even get in to buy some cookies, anything, you know, who cares what the packaging is? Well, I, I know in theory, yes, that's, that's accurate. But I have a 16 year old son who literally goes to the mall here and asks me if it's okay, if he buys a cookies backpack. And I like, no, absolutely not. Okay. Um, and it, so it is very forward thinking. Matter of fact, it's the first brand I think that most kids learn about in cannabis, as far as a brand, they learn about cannabis, right? But in right. California, I almost would bet money on the fact that the very first brand that any kid could visibly state that's a cannabis company is oh, cookies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would bank, I would bet money on that. And well, also, I think that not, let's branding not make the fact that the actual font of the word cookies literally came from Sesame Street. Well, right. I think it, it 
also depends a great deal on where you're from. Uh, since cookies is a California brand, I could see you saying that, Mandy. I don't feel that's necessarily the same argument on the East Coast. Um, my question for you, Mandy, because you're a marketing person. Yes. So like Todd's saying, what constitutes marketing to kids? The If someone right. uses a bright color, I mean, Target uses bright colors. I mean, right. how do you determine... Right. If you're trying to put together a, a good brand, what is or what isn't? Sure. There's a fine line in that, right? And that's the biggest question I've always been perplexed by with regards to branding because there's there's cute branding, like adorable type stuff that placates to the more fun, energetic, soft side of your consumer. And then there's your more clinical um, buyer who's going to want something that's a little bit higher class, a little bit less uh, gimmicky. And I think that there's there's just a wide array of products out there. I mean, even if you look in the beauty um, department at any store, there is a wide array of products that look very clinical, very high end, very medicinal. And then there's, you know, the fun stuff that's, you know, affordable and, and cutesy for younger girls. I really think that when we're talking about branding and marketing towards kids, it comes down to two things. Is it cartoonized in some way, shape, or form? And is there forward-facing marketing that they have access to? And the billboards could be argued that, that that could be part of the marketing. I mean, there was somebody here in the comments a moment ago who made a comment about having to explain a you know cannabis cartoon billboard to a kid when the kid says, hey, let's go buy those cookies, right? Right. I think I'm I'm all against censorship in any form or fashion. But I'm saying like this is this is the game that they chose to play, and so they need to play it right, and they need to stay within the rules. And a quick yeah. Google search will show you that you can find official branded uh, cookies uh, gear in kids' sizes. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> you know, really I don't know if you guys remember because you guys are all pretty young, but back in the '90s, uh, Camel cigarettes. Right. They had that cartoon camel that they had yeah. to get rid of yeah. because they said that was marketing directly to kids. Yep. I That's disagree. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 yeah. And I'm not a big fan of cigarettes, you know, not a big yeah. fan. And, and, and when uh, when that all happened, I was like, yeah, way to go. Only because I don't like cigarettes. But from a censorship and from a, a, you know, dumb rules on marketing, it's just stupid. I mean, there's gummy, you know, uh, there, there, there's gummy vitamins. Right. Mm -hmm. How can we market that to kids? But we can't market, you know, a gummy, you know, a weed gummy. You know, the the rules are just silly. And and, you know, like like you said, Rico, if um, uh, uh, I'm against a censorship as well, but the rules are the rules. And uh, even though they're stupid, you still got to follow them. Yep, they, they chose to play in this in the overreg most overregulated industry in the world. You gotta play. You gotta play by the rules, man. I mean, and I would never want to be in Cookie's shoes, right? But I do trust in the fact that their legal team and their chief marketing officer have been slowly preparing themselves for this. You can't come out and present yourself to the world as the top diggity dog of all weed things and have this fantastic branding and a globe full of haters on your heels and not see this coming. You just can't. I, I honestly think I don't, I think cookies is going to come out of this unscathed. I think they are walking a gray enough area in what they're doing. Uh, that it's going to be excited. hard for them to, to actually come down to on it. Well, hold on, hold on. Don't forget the DCC is controlled by Democrats, and they love to make examples out of people. <sighs> it, 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 yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Um, uh, 
I'm, I'm with you on that, Anna. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we definitely will be following up on, on this as new developments yeah. uh, occur. And this has been an investigative report brought to you by High at Night News. And we'll be right back. We got a commercial. <laughs> Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. Thoughts and opinions and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt Nine News are those of the individual speakers and not those of, of Hyatt Nine News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. If you're an easily offended person, the show is probably not for you. And maybe you should dress your kids or your dogs up in some cookies gear. <laughs> <laughs> you want to grow some of the best weed in the world, then you must start with the best genetics in the so world. Go to www.dnagenetics.shop to order regular feminized or autoflower beans. All of your favorite DNA genetics cultivars such as Kosher Kush, Skywalker Kush, and oh yeah, Chocolate Truffle Shuffle. Boasting more cannabis awards for their award-winning genetics than any other company in the world. Remember to go to www.dnagenetics.sh to see why our terps don't lie. Oh, yeah. Um, and the co-host of the What's Good podcast, tuning in from somewhere in the metaverse, it is Matthew St. Germain. Thanks, Rico. Hi, all. Happy Monday. So my story comes out of Santa Barbara from a local website, EDHAT.com, and it's the DA's folly. Why Santa Barbara Soup's sweetheart deal for pot growers is failing and stinks to high heaven. Tax collections from pot hailed as a financial salvation by politicians who recklessly transformed Santa Barbara into the undisputed outdoor autoflower booth cannabis cultivation capital of California are drying up like desiccated weed plants in a drought. Santa Barbara is the number one county, uh, number one county in California for active cannabis cultivation licenses, with 22% of the total, Burns reported. The large number of licenses is a reflection of the sheer size of the industry here. 1,575 acres of grows, primarily in the North County, and another 158 acres of greenhouses in the Carpinteria Valley. This achievement for our county has been accomplished despite Santa Barbara constituting a mere 1.6% of California's 163,696 square miles, almost entirely by the raw power politics and special interest associations wielded by Supervisor Das Williams and board colleague Steve Lavigno. As the grand jury has chronicled in depth and in detail, the pair crafted the pot ordinance largely behind closed doors, in close consultation with high-priced grower lobbyists, and in breathtaking disregard for long-established local planning processes and norms. For the primary purpose of bulldozing a vast new industry into the county, heedless of the impact on neighbors and existing businesses, and the benefit of and for the benefit of political sponsors, campaign contributors, and personal pals. On it, Williams famously, swiftly, and obediently responded to Uber grower Graham Farrar, who requested a pro-industry fix during the drafting of a local pot law. Two words that memorably capture the spirit and sensibility of the deliberations behind the ordinance. 
The cannabis regulations have triggered nearly five have triggered nearly five years and counting of political, legal, and economic conflict and controversy in the county. While Boss Doss and Wingman Steve have belittled, bullied, and insulted opponents, insisting that their great vision offsets any pain, suffering, or inconvenience that the community might endure because of the pot of pot of gold at the end of their conjured rainbow. While other county revenue sources, including property, sales, and hotel bed taxes are growing, cannabis tax revenues for fiscal year 22-23 are now projected to be just over one-third of the $16.3 million that was budgeted last June. It's clear that implications and complexities of the cannabis policy and politics behind the slump, which the two supervisors tried to spin with phony claims of how their cannabis program is all that stands between us and the shuttering of libraries, not to mention the enkindling of the atmosphere and a human extinction event. As a political matter, the most intriguing aspect of her story is the emergence of newly elected supervisor Laura Capps as the first board member to raise substantive, serious, and skeptical questions about cannabis policy since the departure of former supervisor Janet Wolf after the 2018 election. This revenue update is a wake-up call for changes, Capps said at a budget hearing this week. We should take a look at how to do things better. To the surprise of no one amongst the cognoscenti and other hacks of the political class, Capps' straightforward questions and rather innocuous comment immediately drew a crossfire display of huffy, toxic masculinity from Williams and Lavigno, whose bully boy partnership brooks no criticism of their grand project. And no fair mentioning, the emperor wears no clothes either. Uh, this is Matthew St. Germain for the Hyatt Nine News on a Monday. What do you guys think about this one? Mm-hmm. <coughs> or shall I start? Uh, oh, man. I, I think you should just start this off, Matthew. Yeah, this is just, well, I mean, first and foremost, it, it, it shows how dirty politics is and how everything is, is accomplished with, with backdoor payments. But also it just goes to speak to all these regulators being out of touch and thinking that uh, people growing weed were making the same kind of money that uh, people selling cocaine were. Right. If they could just market to kids, then it would save the whole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Maybe maybe Coca-Cola can start um, um, legally manufacturing weed and selling it to the kids. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of one of the most encouraging things I've seen out of California is that uh, although three million plus uh, uh, square feet of cultivation space was lost, the large majority, almost 70 percent of that was from the mega grows. And so we're seeing a lot of these guys who came into California, filled out a bunch of numbers on a spreadsheet and it equaled, you know, I'm going to get a billion dollars for life. All those guys are failing or yep. a majority of them are. And that's heartening to at least me. I like I like what Nick Bradley had to say. He says, hey, but hey. Steve said he was against big corporations and wants to go back to craft farmers. And that is a reference to Steve D'Angelo. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, boy. Oh, oh my. <laughs> exactly, you guys. I mean, yeah. I mean, Santa Barbara is, you know, that, that, that whole area. There's a lot of people that have turned their cultivation licenses in, too. So I imagine this this could be the possibility for a lot of those license people that are still operating to be able to uh, capture that land and take advantage of that infrastructure that they've already built. What do you think about that, Mandy? Um, I think that we have had a massive decrease in just cultivation all over the place, but that Santa Barbara is definitely feeling the pain. For sure. It's, yeah. 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 Repurpose the land, man. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Thank you so much for that, Matthew.
Oh, yeah. Coming up next. She's back with us. That's right. It is Mandy Tingler, the mom that loves to show how cannabis and executive lifestyle all go hand in hand with her fancy little Hyatt 9 news jacket. Oh, yeah. That's right. What do you got for us today, Mandy? Ah, thanks. I'm super glad to be back from Spain. I can't tell you guys how much I missed all of you. Um, and thanks for noticing this spicy new jacket. Today. Today's article that I'm presenting comes from The Guardian, and it's talking to us a little bit about what's happening in Australia. The headline reads, Australia spends billions failing to police cannabis that earns black market a $25 billion a year, Green says. Australia's cannabis industry could be earning the black market $25 billion a year. Rather than policing it, we should be gaining revenue from its legalization, Green Senator David Shobrig has said. Law enforcement is spending billions of public dollars failing to police cannabis, and the opportunity here is to turn it all on its head by legalizing it, he said. In an answer to a question from Showbridge during Senate estimates on how much cannabis Australians consumed, the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission provided data from the nation's wastewater, which found 14.6 kilograms of THC, the psychoactive compound in cannabis, per thousand people per year. The Parliamentary Budget Office estimates the average street price of ganja to be 13.4 a gram, better than California right now. <laughs> and their wastewater data is extrapolated across their entire population and using the same methodology as well as a higher end estimate of how much THC was in the average cannabis hall. Showbridge and his team arrived at their $25 billion figure. These numbers reinforce the analysis we've received from the Parliamentary Budget Office that legalizing cannabis can bring in $28 billion in public revenue in the first decade, Showbridge said. If the ACIC is right about the amount of cannabis consumed every year, then it's likely the public revenue we can gain from legalizing it will be even higher than the figures show. Legalizing cannabis would be a win-win in, uh, or the NSW senator argued, freeing up law enforcement resources, bringing in tax revenue for the government, and the policing of young people, First Nations communities, people, people with disabilities, and marginalized groups over a plant. The Green Justice spokesperson has announced he will be introducing legislation to legalize cannabis in Australia, mirroring the Canadian model, where it can be purchased by adults from licensed dealers and government-run stores. Wastewater in regional areas was found to have higher levels of THC than the capital cities, a 0.025 kilogram per 1,000 people per day, compared with 0.015 kilogram to 1,000 people per day, according to the ACIC. According to the most recent Australian Institute of Health and Welfare survey, cannabis is the most widely, widely consumed illicit drug in Australia, with 36% of its respondents over 14 years old admitting that they have used it in their lifetime, and 11.6 within the last year. The number of people using cannabis across their lifetime is also growing. As 2023 begins, we have a small favor to ask. Our new year means new opportunities, and we are hoping this year gives rise to some of the much-needed stability and progress. Whatever happens, the Guardian will be there, providing... Oh, sorry, this is, <laughs> this is the Bardian, bottom of the Guardian article. I apologize for that. But you guys, this is actually... 
you know, slow movement as far as I'm concerned with Australia. It seems to be that they're very forward thinking when it comes to doing all kinds of clinical testing and really moving the needle forward with psychedelics. And so to me, it's a little bit interesting that they seem to be behind the times when it comes to cannabis. Anybody else have any feedback about Australia? This is Mandy for Hive Nine. I mean, Australia sounds to me like it's a very thriving market out there. I mean, yeah, for the illicit market, yes, but it's still yeah. technically illegal out there. So people are still worried about what happens. And with, yeah. it, with 70 cents, you know, 70 cents to, to their dollar, I mean, that makes it very, very attractive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cannabis was legal in South Australia back in uh, 2000. So, Wouldn't uh, South Australia be Antarctica? No. <laughs> in 2000 huh yeah in in 2000 uh, i was actually there and uh was able to acquire some cannabis while i was there so south australia has been very uh, uh liberal towards the cannabis market uh for a very long time and the rest of the country has been slow to uh, you know adopt cannabis policies but uh, it's great that you can just go and drink the water in australia and now catch a buzz Get high. Yeah. It's so interesting to me, though, that they're very open to doing clinical research. Yeah. Do, the toilets, on do the toilets flush they're, the wrong They're way. actually probably the most progressive when it comes to that. So it's just really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The toilets definitely go the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are running low on time. So let's, let's keep this party going here. Up next, he's the co founder of the Smuggleverse and 30 year media producer, director, editor, and 13 years as a C suite cannabis executive. You know who it is the man with the golden voice himself, Todd Dankins. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Uh, my story from the Gondrepreneur um, you know, another cannabis company in trouble with the SEC for fraud. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission on Thursday charged cannabis cultivation and distribution company American Patriot Brands, its chief executive officer Robert Y. Lee, and five other entities and individuals with fraud. The agency also charged current and former executives Brian L. Palace and J. Bernard Rice and APB subsidiaries DJNS Property No. 1 LLC TSL Distribution LLC, and Urban Farms LLC. American Patriot Brands, Inc., formerly the Grilled Cheese Truck Incorporated, is a vertically integrated cannabis agricultural company, and the company is primarily focused on cultivation and distribution of medicinal and recreational cannabis. The SEC alleges in the complaint that the defendants raised more than $30 million from more than 100 investors and enriched themselves by funneling the money to their personal accounts and spending tens of thousands of dollars on executives' personal expenses. The complaint said that although APB produced only a small amount of sellable cannabis a year, it promoted itself as one of the largest cannabis farms in the country and provided widely, wildly inflated financial information to support extreme high revenue projections. To make the investment appear more attractive, APB also promised that investments would be secured by a lien on their own cannabis farm at times when the farm did not uh, likely have enough equity to secure the investments. The SEC also claims that Lee, Palace, and Rice, since at least mid-2016, made false and misleading statements to investors about various aspects of APB, including its financial condition, the scope of its operations, the value of its Oregon cannabis farm, 
and the safety and security of investing in the company. In a statement, Carolyn M. Welshans, Associate Director of the SEC's Enforcement Division, said, American Patriot Brands, Inc. and some of its senior executives fabricated business profits and prospects to entice investors with falsehoods that in the end left investors with essentially worthless securities. The complaint charges American Patriot Brands, Lee, Palace, Rice, DJNS Property Number 1, and TSL Distribution and Urban Farms with violating the anti-fraud provisions of the federal securities laws. The lawsuit seeks permanent injunctive release, release, not release, relief, disgorgement and prejudgment interest, civil penalties, and officer and director bars against Lee, Palace, and Rice. The complaint names as relief defendants and seeks disgorgement and prejudgment interest from three affiliated entities, Legion Accounting Services, Puerto Rico One, and Castro Business Enterprises, LLC, that all allegedly received millions in investor proceeds. The complaint was filed in the United States District Court for the District of Puerto Rico. I'm Todd Dankin with Hyatt 9 News. Yet another cannabis company ripping people off, making it look bad for the rest of us. What do you guys think? Any company uh, with, uh, with with Patriot, the word Patriot in their DBA, <laughs> is grifting. Is eventually ah, going to be taken. A really good point. Are you saying that the SEC is woke and just going after patriots? That's what you're saying. Oh, yeah, that's what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> this just points to the problem with the first round of cannabis legalization where everybody, again, was after generational wealth and become right. a, an internet billionaire. And, and guys who had like trapped some pack to the East Coast were all of a sudden being called the new Steve Jobs of weed by right. Canadian right. billionaires who have no clue what they're doing. Yeah, like you know? it just all of a sudden right. happened for the first and time with, ever. With any growth industry, with the tech bubble, with all this stuff, the first thing you get is all of these grifters that run in and misrepresent the opportunity for money. All the money's easy. Just give me the first little chunk. Right. I swear I'm a prince. I'll get you back, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Grifting. My my favorite is give me all the money because all these cannabis people don't know what they're doing, and and, and I yes. do because I'm a business yes. person. We're idiots. Right. Speaking I'm a as a man. lifelong cannabis I'm navigator, I'm an idiot right. because I'm a white right. male in a suit. Yeah. Oh, God, trust me, bro. Stop it. bro. Jason, that's exactly what it is. It's here's, here's no. the role you sit down with those guys for lunch. No, like, Do you see my watch? It cost me sixty thousand dollars. I'm an entrepreneur. How well, my dad gave me a check for five million bucks and I built I bought a business and then I keep buying other businesses. So I'm here to widgetize cannabis and show you how you're an idiot and don't know what you're doing. So the first thing we need to do is we need to get the cheapest fertilizer and we need to do no work. We need to throw all our weed through a giant machine and then everyone's going to yeah. love it. And then they sit there scratching their head like, man, we took out all the input costs. We made this shit as cheap we as possible. We forgot to dry it. Why can't we, why can't we win? <laughs> but I've been seeing this even back in the trap days, bro. I would I would go consult for one of my friends because he'd be like, St. Germain, your weed's baller. How do I do this? And I would go show them. And then the first kickback is like, oh, that cocoa costs too much. I want to buy the cheap cocoa. Oh, those newts cost too much. I want to buy the cheap newts. And I would just have to look at them and be like, dude, the reason your weed sucks is because of everything you're saying. Because you I'm suck. Not I'm not trying to make the most money. What I what I started growing weed for was because I wanted to have the best weed in the world to smoke. And you have to have you have to be aimed at your at a proper navigation point to arrive at the proper product and destination. Well, God damn it. Gravity does not exist. Watch me fail upward. <laughs> Jason, you can take us out, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, you guys. That was a great great show today thank you all so so 
much for joining us today. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. It's every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big thank yous to our audience and supporters for tuning in daily and listening to the insanity that is the developing cannabis industry. Thank you to all of our haters for always talking and thinking about us because we have the most immaculate pieces of property totally rent-free inside your head. You should come over sometime so we can have a smoke and maybe sip on some tea, but only if you put your pinkies up. Huge thank you to our sponsors, True Classic, iSpire, Wizard Trees, DNA Genetics, LAXCC, Omar Figueroa. Who, who else did I have? Somebody. Some, someone else. I'm sure there's some more out there. Thank you so much for Cannabis for giving us a reason to do this, and thank you to Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, Green Street, and of course, Zaza Simone Brown holding us down in Clubhouse. And thank you all for tuning in and getting high at nine with us. It's America's number one daily cannabis news show.